spiritual narrative. Man does not have a soul, but he is a soul. I'll read Squire. Soul is a term that allows us to address the true self without assuming it is who we think we are. If the soul is the true self, it also has a story. It is a true story. Our true story is our spiritual narrative. It is the soul's story. The soul is our essential self, therefore its experience is our true story. No matter how far out our sense of identity spirals into tangents and subplots, our soul's calling, direction, and purposes remain. Have you ever felt like you were drawn to a particular person or circumstance for a reason? Many of us have the experience of what we do being written in the stars, but one way to describe it is to say that below the surface of the story, there are deeper tales being told. These are stories of the soul. My grandfather often told a story of waking up one morning after moving to Southern California as a teenager and choosing to go to high school. He walked out of his new home that morning, unsure of where to go to school. If he took the bus one direction, he would go to one school. If he took the bus the other way, another school. The choice he made that morning led to meeting my grandmother, which led to my mom being born, and eventually to me. To my grandfather, this was blind choice, and yet even he could grasp that something deeply meaningful was at play. Maybe not before he chose, but as he chose, the possibilities of life emerged and came forth. Carl Jung described synchronicity as a meaningful coincidence of two or more events where something other than the probability of chance is involved. I will always remember that on my 22nd birthday, I got word that a friend was in critical condition on the East Coast. I was searching at my parents' home to find out if I could afford a ticket. Just then, my uncle came over with what he explained as an odd birthday present, a flight voucher that had to be used in the next several days. I've experienced many synchronicities in my life. For me, they are expressions of my spiritual narrative, my soul's story. How do you know you are in touch with your spiritual narrative? When you are living in accordance with what is most sacred and valuable to you, you can trust wholeheartedly that your spiritual narrative not only exists, but is appearing actively in your life. If the spiritual narrative is the driving power of our life's story, our soul's theme is its engine. We can give it a term, love, joy, inspiration, healing, harmony. Whether words can or cannot express it, this is what we should be living from. Every day that we live contrary to it, the more alien our spiritual narrative will seem in our life. From a feeling of oneness within to being experienced as a force of anger around us, the spiritual narrative can be known in as many different ways as there are myths about the nature of God. In the Hebrew scriptures, God can often be construed as a faraway being who has disdain for his creations, who are often not living in accordance with his will. In the Gospels of Jesus, Jesus lives with God close to him, views him as a loving father, and teaches that God's kingdom is within. Our spiritual narrative is not God, but it might be referred to as the state of our relationship with God. The more in alignment we are with our spiritual narrative, the more we are our true selves, living at one with our idea of divinity. The more we are in conflict with or in denial of our spiritual narrative, the more in conflict we are with ourselves, the less sincere we become the more we are in a state of separation from or even conflict with our idea of divinity. Whether God is for us an angry father, a supportive mother, or the force within, 
Our ability to come to terms with that which is sacred in ourselves is our only way to live in harmony with that which we believe to be larger than ourselves. It is foolish to think we live the life of a god. It is wise to see that our lives parody the divine. Divine parody is when we see divine life in our own life. It is the idea that our lives are individualized parts of the life of the whole. In relationship to our lives, it means this. Our life is seen as a whole with all the other stories and experiences taken together. But wholeness truly emerges when each event can be taken as complete within itself. The whole story can be seen right there. When our lives seem to express in a finite way the infinite, we are living our spiritual narrative. A more modern term for the soul is the unconscious. The unconscious is a psychological term meant to describe the content of the psyche beyond our current awareness of it. There are two classic arguments for how the unconscious develops in psychology. One argument is that the unconscious develops based on our life experiences. Experiences enter our consciousness, and whether we process them in a thorough way or not, they imprint, or perhaps at times even scar our psyche, making up our unconscious content. This is essentially the Freudian argument. The other and rarer argument is that our life and self develop out of the unconscious. This is what Carl Jung argued, as well as for a collective unconscious, which spoke to a greater mind that connects us all psychically. Philosophically, we might apply these same ideas to the concept of our souls. One argument says the soul, the central aspects of who we are, develops from our life experience. The other argument says who we are develops based upon the soul. Instead of taking sides, could it be both? Our soul both develops in our everyday consciousness of who we are, and it also develops it? It is both within and surrounding us? There is so much evidence for the unconscious in our lives. Even though of itself it cannot be measured, its effects may be measured both in the grand experiences we have, the embodiment of our soul's theme and the realization of our spiritual narrative, and also in the abnormal ways we behave, what psychology terms our neuroses. The film director, John Waters, used a term I liked. He called himself a healthy neurotic. Why? Because he knew what his neuroses were. She who knows her neuroses harnesses her power and possesses her neuroses. She who doesn't know them is possessed by them. A simple way that our unconscious expresses in our everyday life is as habits. A habit is a regular activity we engage in without awareness, to the degree that it is more appropriate to say that it does us rather than we do it. A habit can be as simplistic as twirling our hair or as complex as driving a car. When you're driving and engaged in a deep conversation on the phone and not realizing the time going by, you've consciously done one thing, but unconsciously done another. There are even more complex levels of how the unconscious expresses itself, as in behavior patterns. These are unconscious routines we repeat over and over that produce the same result. They are best described as the walls we commonly run into in our lives or as the types of relationships we keep repeating or the way we leave things. I had a call from a friend who had a frightening realization. He was seeing someone new, but it might as well have been his ex-girlfriend. So I met her at a party, he tells me, and I was immediately attracted to her. We made a connection and I was able to convince her to go out with me. So we go out and I find out she's from New England like my ex. She's involved in social work like my ex, and she has distance issues with men like my ex. Just like my ex, she has never been in a healthy long-term relationship. Josh, I had no idea. 
Now, I am his friend, not his psychoanalyst, but what I could have told him was how much his ex was like his other ex, who was like his other ex. Almost every psychologist has argued that attraction in particular in romantic relationships is predominantly an unconscious function. Jung explains his position by saying, The young person of marriageable age does, of course, possess an ego consciousness, but since he has only recently emerged from the mists of original consciousness, he is certain to have things that still lie in the shadow and preclude to that extent the formation of psychological relationship. This means in practice that the young man or woman can have only an incomplete understanding of himself and others, and is therefore imperfectly informed as to his or their motives. As a rule, the motives he acts from are largely unconscious. Subjectively, of course, he thinks himself very conscious and knowledgeable, for we constantly overestimate the existing content of consciousness, and it is a great and surprising discovery when we find that what we had supposed to be the final peak is nothing but the first step in a very long climb. Unconsciousness produces habits and behavioral patterns, but what about a narrative? What about a theme? What about a story? This is where unconscious becomes soul for me. Our lives truly are like a fine novel where the story does not dictate the narrative. The narrative dictates the story. Our lives, in other words, don't dictate our narrative but express it. We do not live the story. The story is living us. Have you ever had an experience in which something happened that you weren't quite sure of and it wound up being in alignment with what you really wanted? In my experience, I have soul intentions. Seeds planted in moments of inspiration. I will be of service to others. I will have loving and fulfilling relationships. I am committed to truth. My everyday life will come about in step with my everyday thinking, but also more subtly with these deepest intentions. Sometimes forgotten, though planted long ago, these intentions of the soul cannot be avoided. At times, we will work against our deepest intentions and we will experience a kind of spiritual sleight of hand that tricks us back to what we really want. I recall failing at a small business venture and struggling with what to do. I was so dead set on being in charge that I was unwilling to work for anyone else in the same line of work. Something had to give. I met a man who told me of his business and his desire to retire from it. If I worked for him, he told me, there could be a great opportunity to take his place. I went to work for him, healed my wounds from my failure, succeeded, and got back on my feet. He never left. I had made his job easier, so it looked much better for him to keep. This, to me, was the spiritual sleight of hand I needed. My greater narrative was at work, helping me to overcome my ego. If a habit is an unconscious activity that possesses us, and a behavioral pattern is a routine that possesses us, a narrative is a theme that possesses us. Our spiritual narrative is a consistent theme that developing in form is also constantly the same at the level of the soul. Though there is no need to try to define our narrative, but we should be able to be aware of its presence and influence in our life. My theme has always been something like inspiration. When I am inspired, I am most myself, and when I am a vessel for inspiration for others and situations around me, my narrative expresses itself in a way that brings my life story forward. Our life expresses our narrative when we embody our theme and share it with others. Just as there is a bright side and a dark side to habits and patterns, there is a dark side to the spiritual narrative. When we deny it or repress it, we express its opposite in life. The more we oppose it, the further we push it away. 
However, the spiritual narrative is like a gravitational pull, calling us back. If our narrative is true love, for example, and we oppose it, or we remain incredibly unconscious to it, we will have trouble with commitment, we will pick unsuitable mates, and we will experience ourselves as unlovable. The one will seem a fantasy or so far away we can never reach her, just like our theme. If my narrative is inspiration and I deny it in my life, I get monotonous, I get depressed, I suffer miserably, I even become resentful to the point that I might betray what I really love. I've even come to notice with some who have a deep passion for something, say writing, that when they are in denial of their calling, they will come to fear it. Writing for the writer can become the most difficult and terrifying thing. How does what appeals to us most become that which is hardest for us to do? This is the power created by working against our spiritual narrative. Somehow, when we come to confront the thing we love most, the excitement and passion turns into anxiety and fear of rejection. The alien power holding us back is ourselves, and who we really are can even become unrecognizable to us. What is your spiritual narrative? If we want to find the presence of the spiritual narrative in our lives, we can look to those moments of truth when it seemed God herself opened a door for us. Our narrative is as visible as life's bringing us to a threshold we can cross. It provides us with the relationships or the jobs or the new environment, bringing us ever closer to actualizing our potential. Our lives are not random. They are guided, and they tell a story. How much of the story that gets told is often up to us, but ultimately our spiritual narrative contains our calling and purpose. What makes this story magical beyond the will of all the characters is the narrative bringing them together for an incredible purpose, to express what that narrative is. The same is true in our lives. The wonder is not in telling our own story, but in being taken over by it as our soul's theme leads us along with everything and everyone else to achieve its aim. We discover the soul's presence when we look not at the content of our past, but its context. During a long drought of singlehood, I tried to get truly clear on what it was I wanted in a relationship. I found myself frustrated about asking women out, being unsure whether I really liked someone or just sitting with the idea that I was simply trying to coerce myself and others into having a relationship that perhaps, deep down, I really didn't want to have. Something was wrong. I made a list. I listed beauty, intelligence, support, and non-judgment as the qualities I desired. I paused, realizing these were all a given for me. What was at the real core of the experience I was seeking? First, I realized I wanted to meet someone by synchronicity or fate. Second, I wanted to have that soulmate feeling, that feeling like I had known this person forever, the feeling of safety and spiritual familiarity. Third, I wanted her to feel the same way. In my life, I had gotten pretty good at achieving the first two. Then I realized it would be important to add the third. As I looked at my list, I realized something surprising. What I wanted was entirely out of my control. I could not make any of these three things happen. What I was seeking at heart was a fulfillment of my true love myth, or of a narrative of my life's purpose of love. What narrative, be it in a movie, show, or novel, do you most identify with? As a follower of the true love myth, I love Wesley in The Princess Bride because of his commitment to true love. Wesley overcomes trial after trial in his pursuit of Princess Buttercup, even death. Death cannot stop true love, he declares, 
it can only delay it for a while. As irrational as it may sound, how can we deny this? Another character I love is Vito in Mario Puzo's The Godfather. To follow the Godfather myth is pretty macho, perhaps, but take out the crime and it is about family. The strength of a family, like the strength of an army, lies in its loyalty to each other. That's what the whole thing is about. In Vito's death scene, both in the book and the movie, he reverts back to being an everyman. The myth has been lived, but real life awaits. He smelled the garden. The yellow shield of light smote his eyes, and he whispered, Life is so beautiful. Yes, he thought, if I can die saying, Life is so beautiful, then nothing else is important. Like any story, our spiritual narrative has a theme, a love story, an inspirational story. Comedy and tragedy are a part of life, but a spiritual narrative always arcs towards the greater good. Our spiritual narrative may be shared as a statement about what our life is truly about. My life is about deeper love, deeper life, and a deeper connection. My life is about making my little piece of the world a better place. My life is about being a presence for God. My life is about celebration. Does this mean you quit your job as a web developer? No. It just means that you are more than a web developer, and indeed, beneath the surface of your job description lies your spiritual narrative. All of us have had an experience of personal or spiritual connection with someone whom initially we met as an employee at a business. At first, we don't see anything unique. Just another uniform. Just another attendant. A connection takes place and they provide us with something of their soul's theme, or who they really are. We connect beyond the everyday life to find the deeper meaning in everyday living. One of the greatest gifts we have to give anyone is our attention and appreciation. To truly appreciate who someone is beyond their social or professional role, to listen to them, honor them, witness them, is not only to benefit our own experience, but to support them in bringing parts of themselves they thought unseen to greater life. Working with a dear friend on her upcoming memorial, there was only one thing she was clear about. Don't let anyone say anything that would make me want to get up and leave the room. This was a wonderful footnote to her spiritual narrative. The fact that she was about to die was not as much a defining trait as her humor and honesty. Since what happens to consciousness at death is a mystery at this time, a good story can actually help us construct a reality closer to what may be true. The scene near the close of Tim Burton's adaptation of Daniel Wallace's novel Big Fish may be my favorite scene in any movie. The dying man is escorted to the water to die and he is greeted with cheers by everyone he's ever known and loved. In the film, we are challenged to wonder if the scene is really happening, or if it is just in the man's imagination. Yet, it is the metaphor of the experience that brings something true. She that can walk into each moment, her whole life behind and ahead of her, is the wisest woman. Our spiritual narrative does not need to be an insight into where we are going, but about our direction. Novelist and historian Shelby Foote said, the point I would make is that the novelist and the historian are seeking the same thing, the truth, not a different truth, the same truth, only they reach it, or try to reach it, by different routes. Whether the event took place in a world now gone to dust, preserved by documents and evaluated by scholarship, or in the imagination, preserved by memory and distilled by the creative process, they both want to tell us how it was, to recreate it, by their separate methods, and make it live again in the world around them. 
When we bring a receptive consciousness into our own stories, our own happenings, we can, if we aren't careful, make up stories that take us away from what is real. Yet, we can also reveal narratives that tie things together, show us a way forward, and help us realize, even at difficult times, that we are right where we want to be on our way to where we want to go.